Welcome to Sermons in the Park, a ministry exploring biblical truth from the Word of God, focusing on the truths that help us in our daily walk with Christ in every aspect of our lives. Now, here is your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all-new Sermons in the Park. This episode is, let's talk about that. And today we have on, um, the, the we have, I've, told you guys I was reading a book. It's the Davidic Chronicles written by Greg Baker. So today we have him on. I'm going to let him on right here. Hey, Greg, how are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I used to do a longer intro, but I wanted to get into this one. So like I said, I, I, I was telling you before, you know, we started, I really did love the book. I, it was, it was great. I know like before we spoke, you know, when we spoke the first time, I just finished that interview. So you probably noticed I'm not as talkative today as I was because I was going on and on with him, and I was so excited you got back with me. Um, okay. It was uh, – I did – I really did enjoy the book. Uh, I'm glad you had okay. me wait. That way we had more to talk about because uh, it was it was a really good book. Um, guys, it's the Davidic Chronicles. The first one in the, book, the series is called, I believe, The Anointed, and that one deals Correct. with – David up until Goliath. I did. Yeah, that was really good. So, uh, I know, like, uh, I, this wasn't on the questionnaire I have, uh, but I read, I was reading that you were a minister before you, you got into writing books. Yeah, I pastored for 13 years in northern Colorado. <laughs> and uh, But I've always had a passion for writing. And this was, I have five boys, and I, it's important to me to have some books out that are good quality for them to read. And so I started writing books largely for them and um, it just took off from there. Yeah. So you, have, you say, how, how many sons did you say? I'm sorry, if you had four or five? Five, five, five sons, wow. one's adopted, one's wow. adopted. Wow, five, I've got, I've got, I've got three. And <laughs> I couldn't imagine having five. How, how, uh, how far apart in age are they? They're all two years apart, though the one adopted is, like, right in between my oldest and my second oldest. Wow. <laughs> yeah, mine are all one year apart each. <laughs> so I, that baby to baby and baby, it was kind of right after the other. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, but with ours, like, mine and my wife's two, uh, we had that situation where everybody thought they were twins because <laughs> they were so close in age. We'd go in a store like, you got twin boys. Like, no, no, no. There's like a year apart. <laughs> so um, the the book, The Anointed, I, like I know you said uh, it's important to have stuff for the youth to read. So is that what inspired you to write the, uh, the Davidic Chronicles or? Okay. So, yeah, a, a lot of it was that uh, when I pastored for the 13 years that I pastored, obviously I preached sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon mm -hmm. on all sorts of different subjects. David was always one of my favorite characters, and David is probably most people one of their favorite characters in the Bible. And uh, But what I found out is that a lot of people, when they read these stories, are reading them in, in a dry sense of way. The Bible's very vibrant. Mm -hmm. The Bible is incredibly, incredibly diverse, and there's so many connections there that people tend to miss because they read it dryly. They, they, they don't they don't make the connections that the Bible has there. And so, and with my own children, and even with other adults and church members, I wanted to give them something that would make the connections for them so they see them. And even just say, wow, that's in the Bible. I think that happened to you. That's actually yes. how we met. Yes, I had was. mentioned that Samuel was, um, was called a seer, not a prophet. Mm -hmm. And that's, a lot of people don't, don't realize that that's what they were called back then at that time period. Later yeah. on, the seer was dropped, and they were just called prophets. And you know, I've gotten probably 30 different people say, comment just like yours, a seer? A seer, and they're thinking of something else. They're like, toward like witchcraft or yeah. something. <laughs> but um, in, in essence, that's just what the prophets were called back then. And so I was making all these connections that a lot of people don't really notice. And then I just write a fiction. So biblical fiction to me is taking all the facts of the Bible, not changing one of them, but fictionally fill in what might have happened. And that's the key, might, because we don't know. Exactly. But might have happened between those facts in 
And so I do all the research, the research into the culture, the, the Hebrew culture of that time period, which is different than the time period of Jesus' day. Yeah. The, the Hebrew culture evolved or changed over time. I did the research into the Philistine culture and how they interacted. And then weaved a story that connected all of the facts the Bible does give us into a plausible story. Yeah. And then, then, you know, you did, and I got to tell you, like, that's what I liked when I was reading it. Because, like, before you said, you know, you had posted about the seer, and I came up and I was, uh, I just kind of said, yeah, exactly what you said, seer, he was a prophet, not a seer. And you responded, and uh, I remember right after you did, I, I went to some of my books on ministry, and I started looking, and sure enough, you know, it, it took me a while, but I did find that. <laughs> it was because of you that I went and I found that. And that was something I, I probably never would have found you know and but without your books and that was the point of writing them in in a somewhat fun entertaining and easy way for people to see that their bible is a lot more vibrant and, and engrossing and just deep than they suspect it to be the idea is to point everybody back to the scriptures because what i've written is not scripture it yeah, is right. simply it's more like commentary or or a very lengthy sermon where someone just elaborates on the stories that are there but that's the point i that's why i wrote it i wrote it so that people will not only enjoy it but to go back to the bible and say that's really there that's in the bible yep and that, surprise how many of those things are that and that's true and, and as i think as a minister when you start studying it more you find so much more that you didn't realize even as a <laughs> you know like me growing up in the church you know, I grew up in it. My grandma and my, was an elder in her church, and like I told you, my grandpa, my uh, her her dad was a Pentecostal preacher, and on my dad's my mom's side, you know, being related to Jimmy Swaggart and going to Church of God like constantly. Until I was sitting down recently, I was uh, I'm doing I'm writing sermons on Joseph, and you know, when you read Joseph's interaction with the brothers, the Bible's just trying to give you quick, like quick, like letting you know this is what happened. And then later you see, well, why, the reason the brothers mentioned Benjamin was because Joseph asked about the father and the and the brother. But when you're reading as Joseph, he just kind of goes, oh, you didn't mention you had a brother. It was just brief. Right. And, and, that, and you're right. You, you don't realize it until you start studying it or somebody points it out to you like that. Yeah. I, I never would have known that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the goals of a lot of these books is just something open the Bible up in, for people that they haven't had an opportunity to do so before. Yeah. Now you did, you know, you did mention you, you did a lot of research. Uh, I, I was curious, did did that delve into the Targum and the Septuagint as well, or did you go into those? Um, well, <clears throat> not generally speaking, only just as a comp for comparison. I mean, the, the, script, the, the Septuagint, of course, is just the um, I believe it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Right. And um, so, you know, I didn't focus mostly on our English Bible as far as the facts are concerned. Right. I did look into, I did look into various other uh, Jewish legends and stuff that, they, for example, um, in one of the later books, when David is hiding from Saul, he, he's hiding in a cave. Yeah. And he's missed, somehow he's missed. Now the Jews have a legend that what happened there was while they were hiding in the cave, a spider came and spun a web over the entrance. So that when Saul <laughs> saw the web, he just automatically assumed no one was in there. Because if there was someone who was in there, the web would have been broken. True. So so that's just a Jewish legend. The Bible doesn't mention that at all. But it was it was just a way to incorporate. So I did. I incorporated that aspect into the story because it was a Jewish legend. And there, I, there was had to be some manner in which that Saul somehow would buy, they were searching for David. And so I don't know, he, there had to be some means by which he would have missed David hiding in this cave. Yeah. And so I just used that as an example. So yes, I did a lot of research into things of that nature, but I went all over the place. I mean, I purchased a bunch of books on, on ancient warfare techniques, tactics, because mm -hmm. they fought a lot of the Philistines. Um, I did a lot of word searches as far as in the Bible, what this, what the word is in the connections. For example, David, first the Samuel say that Jesse, David's dad, had eight sons, but the chronicle only lists seven sons. 
there's a son missing. So that's so where you came up. There. So is that where you came up with Mayon from? Yeah, Mayon is a fictional character because he's not listed right. as one of the ones of David's sons. We do know that David Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Jesse, before right. Jesse's I mean before Samuel. Before Samuel said, No, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Do you have any more sons? That's when they went to get David. So there was certainly eight, but only seven are listed. I never noticed that before. <clears throat> yeah. And one of the re and so I speculate. There's been all sorts of theories as to why that is, but I speculate that one of the reasons one of the reasons might have been because one of Jesse's children had forsaken God. And when that happened in that ancient culture, their name would be blotted out of the records. That's true. And so since and so it's possible that one of one of David's brothers' names got blotted out, which could kind of make him a villain. So Maon is a villain in the story. Very nice. The fictional one. We don't know. We don't know for sure, but it's a plausible explanation as to why Chronicles only list seven. But the, but the Samuels say that there are eight sons of Jesse. That is very interesting. I, it, it, uh, that's cool. I'm at to go back and reread that section now. That's very interesting. I did never, never paid my mind to that. <laughs> very cool. Because I yeah, was curious just... about that, and I did like the story you wrote with him. You know, the whole uh, him spying on the on the on the king and everything, and saying, "Hey, you know, I could spy because." Because my brother's in his court, I, I thought that was an am- I thought that was really cool. <laughs> right. So it's just weave the story in. He's somewhat somewhat of a villain in the story. <clears throat> he's kind of like a friend villain. It's, I mean, he still has a love for his family, but at the same time, he's turning away from God. And David, of course, is a man after God's own heart. Exactly. Yeah. So there's conflict. There's conflict there, and and a lot of people are going to be related to that. A lot of people are conflict with their family members. When it comes to the things of God, yeah. the things of Christ, so. I, 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 and that's when you were saying that a lot of people are so close with David because we can all see ourselves in him in some way, and the the family thing, like, yeah, that's that because we all have like we all have that in our family where they're like, well, you're all you ever want to talk about is God, and it's like, well, you called and asked me a question, and I'm answering, <laughs> right? Yep. And uh, exactly. uh, and I did like this. This partially is a question, partially isn't. Is uh, your writing is just? Uh, I do want to praise that your your writing was really good. Uh, when I was actually reading that scene when you had Samuel anointing David, because you know we all know that Samuel loved Saul. The Bible constantly points us out how much he cared for Saul and he 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 favored him. But you know Saul did do wrong in God's eyes. And when you were had him anointing David, I could feel that that hesitation. I could actually, when right. I was reading it, I felt it. And I was like, man, that, I, like I was I actually got goosebumps. Did did you, you did you go back on something of your own personal memory when you were writing that, or how did you how did you do no. that so good? No, I mean, I just tried to put myself into Samuel's shoes. So to do to do that to be in character, actors do this all the time, and authors have to learn to do this as well particularly when they're writing fictional works novels they have to put themselves in character mm-hmm. and so so the character of samuel samuel was was a man who was for a long time based essentially king of israel yeah. the judge i know he wasn't king king but when he said go i mean when he walked in i mean even when he came to bethlehem in that particular scene the elders of bethlehem came out and said are you coming peacefully because they were nervous i mean here comes samuel the man of god and and when, Sam, when anything Samuel said, God backed up. Exactly. So they were nervous about him showing up. But here's a man, a powerful man, who's somewhat replaced by Saul. But Samuel saw Saul as kind of his son. Yeah. Samuel did have two other sons that had kind of strayed. But, but he did kind of see Saul as that son of his, and he loved him greatly. But he knew Saul had... Um, strayed, and he knew God had rejected him, and that had grieved Samuel a lot. And so when God told Samuel to go anoint someone from Jesse's household, he was nervous for several reasons. One, he, I don't think he wanted to hurt Saul. Two, I think he was nervous about Saul's reaction when Saul found out. In fact, he even True. said so to God. He said, I don't want Saul to find out about this. And so he made a pretense. Even the great man of God, Samuel, made a pretense. And so he pretended like he was going to offer a sacrifice, which they did, but it was just a pretense to 
to find David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so I just put myself, yeah, I just put myself in Samuel's shoes and tried to think like he would, based on what we knew from him. And that's how I determined uh, the characters' personalities. I I tried to, unless it's a purely fictional story, I just read everything about that individual. David, of course, you read all the Psalms as well. Right. And um, and, and then try to react the way they stay in character. Mm-hmm. That was, that, that, and I, I could, I could feel it, just the way he, it, I, I don't know, man. Like when I was reading it, I just could feel it. And that just was amazing to me. And speaking of that, the the you had David go visit the um, the, the local. I, I say priest. The, he went to see him and make the sacrifice, and he was asking about, you know, what should he do. Um, who? Where did you come up with him? Because I I don't remember ever reading about him. That that that's a fictional. That's a fictional part of the story. Okay. So is the priest. He's fictional. That story didn't happen. But. The priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, right? The Levitical priesthood had representatives throughout all of Israel. They had certain cities, but they would also have local priests in these cities. And then, of course, every one, but at least three times a year, they would gather at the tabernacle because they didn't have a temple yet. It was a tabernacle in this, in this, in in David's day. Mm -hmm. They would gather there for the various feasts and stuff. But when they wanted to inquire of the Lord, you would do so either to a prophet or through one of the priests and the ephod. The ephod was a garment that the priest would wear, but right. he would put that on and when he would request something of the Lord. So later on in the story, for example, uh, much later on when the when after Saul kills all of the priests of Nob and only one, Abimelech, I believe, escapes and he joins David. David inquires of the Lord at the hands of that priest when he right. put on the ephod. And so I'm just basing it off of that. That was the culture. That's how they did it. They exactly. inquired of the Lord that way because they didn't have a written word of God at that time other than what Moses had written. And the copies were far and few between. Exactly. The you king had a copy, here. right? The king had a copy, and there was, should have been a copy in the tabernacle, but there wouldn't have been very many other copies around. That's true that Jesse was rich, and, and so he would have more access than others, I think. But they typically, when someone inquired the Lord, they went to the priest. Mm-hmm. And I like I did like the whole priest you created. I liked how he was like he he was afraid of the light. Like, get in here, boy! It's, your your skin's gonna burn. I thought that was that that was I, that was really funny. I loved that part. And another part that you wrote that I loved as well is when David is going to visit. Kinks. I think I sent you something on Facebook about it, but um, when you had him going to to Saul and Jesse gave him the uh, the goat and the lambs and all that stuff, the bread and the wine, and you right. had that goat coming behind him, and uh, I I love I'm a movie buff, and all <laughs> when they kept pulling that goat, I kept thinking of the Zohan, and <laughs> when uh, Rob Schneider's character's like goat. <laughs> And I just, he was pulling. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, I, I called my wife. I was like, I'm just, she's like, what's up? I'm, I'm laughing. And I said, I keep thinking of Zohan. And she's like, why? And I told her that scene when David turns around and the goat's just laying down and wouldn't move. <laughs> I was like, that's. Yeah. <laughs> well, goats are notorious for being stubborn. So. <laughs> yeah. One of the, my, this is off the subject, that, but you're talking about goats being stubborn. My grandmother the guy that used to live across the street from her, he had a goat. And I remember my grandpa told us a story about one day he was going out to go to work and he heard that man scream. And he had gone, he ran over to see if, you know, hey, are you okay? And I guess he had gone into his shed and he didn't realize the goat was behind him. And he bent down to pick something up and that goat just <laughs> rammed him. <laughs> that just, that, yeah. Well, in these books, I did try to place a significant um, aspect of realism of the culture. I mean, they didn't behave or act like we do today. And the exactly. morality was even different. Life was cheap back then. Death was ca- a common bedfellow. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of violence. And it was a common everyday thing, particularly since at that time of David as he's growing up, the Philistines dominated the land. Even though Saul was king, there was still 
like the black there was the blacksmiths the philistines had um, done away with all blacksmiths so if you wanted to sharpen a tool you would often have to go to the philistines to get your tool sharpened that's true so there was a lot of oppression and um but i wanted to make things realistic to the way it would have been back then uh as much as i possibly could without obviously having been there and experienced it myself yeah and so and so little things, little things like that, like the goats. I mean, I mean, that would be something that David would have to deal with, even sheep. Yep. You have to deal with the the um, idiosyncrasies of sheep and various aspects of life. But we tend to not realize that David is a real boy and then young man and man. Mm-hmm. And then king, he dealt with everyday common things. Yeah. I, 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 speaking of the, the blacksmith, I did like when you had him, when Maon gave him the dagger. And he was like, where did you get this? You know, it, it was like he, he he felt like there's something wrong with Mayon having that dagger. And because, like you said, the the Philistines had basically outlawed it. So I did, right. I did that was, that was, yeah, that was, I did, I did like that. And I actually, I actually had to stop yeah, for right? a second and think about it. I was like, I think I remember something about that. Yeah, and particularly iron, because um, this was at the beginning of the Iron Age. So bronze was was a lot more common, but um, bronze, but iron is harder. And it, as iron began to become more prevalent, it became more sought after. For a while, it was a lot more valuable even than bronze or copper. Because bronze is a combination of copper and tin, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. But but um, it's it's the whole, the whole thing of the Iron Age, and it became... It affected the culture. It affected the way the society functioned, and so I tried to, I tried to demonstrate that mm-hmm. with the everyday life. Mm-hmm. These things that we tend to miss when we read, when we just read the Bible without realizing some of these facts. Yeah, you did, you did, you did that really good. You really did. Uh, and, and even that, like uh, my friend has uh, one of my really good friends. He he's military and he has PTSD. And I was noticing in the way that you portrayed, you know, the evil spirit that was on King Saul. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I kind of felt that that was what you were showing with him was he might have had PTSD. Is um, that- no, I wasn't trying to show that specifically. I mean, there might be elements of that, but most more I was trying to show uh, the spiritual and demonic influence of these evil spirits on Saul and the erraticness, the... the, the just almost like his personality just flips. Then that you did that when he's under the influence. And you did do that really good. Was, how he was laughing right. one moment, and then all of a sudden, like he was in a rage of emotions. Furious. Yeah, yeah, that was, and I did like that as a, as a deliverance minister, especially. I I was feeling that 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 felt. Yeah, it was really really good. I I did like how you did that. And another one that I was really curious on. Uh, this one's kind of a way ahead in my list here, but the the tattoos on Goliath, I was curious about that because I, I've never read that anywhere. Was that a fictional element added as well, or um, that is not so much? For, I mean, it might be fictional for to Goliath specifically because we don't know. Well, it doesn't say. Mm-hmm. But the Philistine culture, it was very common, very common among warriors and the priesthood to tattoo themselves in honor of their gods. True. It was, and it's one of the reasons why the Bible actually commanded against it was because it wasn't so much the tattoos of the marking themselves mm-hmm. was was because he didn't want them to take on the characteristics, the same characteristics that these these um, heathen priests were using to honor their gods, and that's why he outlawed certain type of, of haircuts because that's how the priests of these other gods, like Astaroth or Baal or Dagon. Yeah, they would they would actually do those bowl cuts and they would shave the sides of their heads. And the reason why they shaved the sides of their head is because to show off their tattoos. But it was a mark of priesthood of their dedication to their gods. And God didn't want His people to follow in that footsteps. Mm-hmm. And so that's why some of the Old Testament, I think, said not to do dress this way or have that type of haircut or do this was because of that. Yeah, don't. And so, but it was very common. So I can't say for sure that. That uh, Goliath had tattoos, yeah, but he would way. not be. Yeah, you can't say either yeah. way on that but, one. <laughs> but I would say that the odds are much higher that he did. 
yeah, simply because that was the that was the culture of that time period for the Philistines. Yeah, and especially with how you know, even in the book you had him described as they, the the Philistines worshipped him almost like they worshipped him. Yeah, and uh, that yes. I, could, I could see that, and that was another one I could see. You know, uh, of course, like we never know how exactly how tall he is, but I did love when you had the first time. You know, uh, especially Jonathan sees him, but Saul as well, because Saul even runs. But when Saul, Samuel, uh, when uh, Jonathan sees him, and it's like, it's all, like, well, I could feel it. Like it was like, here comes this giant mountain, and why is it moving? You know, that, <laughs> the way you described that right. was just amazing. Yeah. And and the the sword coming down and chopping someone in half, and Jonathan's like, that's the first time I've ever seen that. I could picture. Well, I wanted that to give a. The only time, I mean, when Goliath is first introduced in the Bible, it's about him defying the armies of Israel, and then but David shows up and kills him. Mm-hmm. So, to be frank, it's not all that terrifying, but to the people of that time period, Goliath would have been known ahead of time. Yeah, he wouldn't have been the first time they're like, "Who's this fellow?" They, they would have known about his existence. And so, what I wanted to do is, I want to introduce Goliath in his element as a man that everybody indeed is scared of, and, and there's a good reason to be scared of this yeah. giant. And so it makes it what David did even more incredible, because this fear of Goliath was well-earned. I mean, it wasn't something that they just, oh, he's a little tall, I don't want to mess with him. They had other, they were, there had to be other encounters with the giants, the sons of Anna, yeah, before this. And so I wanted to give, so I wrote a fictional scene that didn't happen in the Bible of, of a Goliath prevailing over the Israelites to establish that fear. Yeah, you have him come in, in and basically just destroy that whole army. Just, that was, oh, that was, yeah. <laughs> the cutting in half part, the spearing when he picks him up in the air like a banner. Yeah, it's a little gruesome. Yeah, um, these books are not written for children. I didn't write them that way. So violence is David is known as a bloody man. Oh yeah, yeah. He and was. So violence, violence is part of his life. So it's a bit of violent books. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Even well, even they, left behind um, books were very violent. <laughs> yes, but I tried not to get gory terribly much, and um, and the books are otherwise clean there's yeah. no profanity no sexual content no, I, I, um, I, I leave all that. of that outside of the book and uh, so they're written for teenagers and adults uh, but it, they're very all of my books i love the books so well i think with you having you know uh saul run, run away and you you might have mentioned that saul was big in the book but that's one of the things i always felt a lot of people overlook because they'll go oh well goliath wasn't really that big it's like, well, don't you realize Saul was running from him? And even Saul in the Bible is described as being, he was tall compared to the, he was even described yeah, as almost a giant. Yeah. Well, head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, and it might have been that the, the culture, when I did my research, it seemed like the average height of a man was about five foot four, five foot five. Mm-hmm. So if Saul was six foot, he would have been head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah. So he would have had to, Goliath would have been. A, I still, I don't go with the whole, like, do I doubt he was nine foot? No, you know, but he, he could have been seven. He could, he just was, he was a big guy. <laughs> yeah. And there's all sorts of different speculations and regardless of how big he was, I mean, if just based, based on the weight of the spear, um, based on the, um, the size of the spear, the sword, and that it had to have a man just carry his shield. Yeah. He was definitely a big man. Oh, yeah. There was no doubt. I mean, there was no doubt he was a very, very big man. And um, whether he's 7 foot, 12 foot, I don't think he was 12 foot, but I do think he was between 7 and 9 foot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, you know, they, they found giant spearheads. Uh, if you go to uh, Expedition Bible on YouTube, that that, that guy's a preacher, and he's, he's actually an archaeologist that lives in the Middle East. Sounds like he's been there his whole life, except for a small time he was in the U.S. as a preacher. Um, he's actually unearthed the, some of those giant spearheads and he shows some of them in the, uh, the museum and then he's cut some cardboard to show you in his hand just how big they were compared to yeah. a natural spearhead. And he's like, some, a lot of people go, oh, that was ornament. He goes, look at it. It's, it was used in battle. You can see the damage on it. 
the chips and everything. And that's, I, 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 I'm a firm believer he was, you know, like you said, between seven and nine feet tall. So in, in, the, in the first book, uh, what was your favorite scene to write? I don't know if I have a favorite scene that, I mean, some things are easier. See, I had an outline. The Bible gave me an outline, so I had oh, an outline yeah. already. Exactly. And so it, it's not like I come up with much. Um, outside of the elements between the story to make sure the most challenging part was to make sure that I didn't change what the Bible said because it would sound better in my mind. Because what I, what I didn't want to do was change what the Bible said. Because there, there, you can always make something more exciting, but I didn't want to embellish the actual facts. Mm-hmm. So the challenge was making sure that the story wove together between the facts that led to the next fact in a logical way. But I don't know if there was a particular scene I enjoyed writing more than others. Some just come more naturally than others. Uh, I think I, I like writing conflict and, and the scenes between David and his brother, the kind of the rebel was was intriguing to me because they were able to have some very serious theological um, arguments that allowed me to ex- that allowed me to explore certain aspects of that of that culture and their thinking of that time period, which is just a lot of fun to write. Yeah, it seemed like you could feel it off of there. Yeah, I I, I definitely. I wouldn't have thought of that one either, but those were some of my favorites, especially the first one when he's out there with, um, I forget her name, but the one he winds up marrying, and he, and his, yeah, and he sees his brother the first time. Uh, well, first he right. follows that, yeah, he follows his brother, and then he sees him talking with the spy. I love, that was one of my favorite scenes, because I could picture him sneaking around behind the tents and of the cellars and stuff like that. And the, and of course the uh, the Edomite I like that I like I like the way you portrayed him too. <laughs> yes, because he causes so much trouble later. <laughs> he does. He does. So what uh, what was so I I think you already told me you don't really know but what was the most difficult one? Well, the most difficult was be make sure I'm not affecting the the scriptures. I'm not changing what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you think that wouldn't be hard, but when you're trying to weave a story together, you want everything to flow logically and smoothly. You don't want to change a person's nature or character. You don't have to act out of character, and you don't want to build a character who is acting out of character when they're following what the Bible said. True. No, they were in character with the Bible. True. And mm-hmm. so you need we I have to write in such a way that their whole character reflects that. And, and you so did, and you making really sure good. I'm trying to stay true. And you did that really good. I got to say, I, I can't praise you enough on this book. It was amazing. <laughs> you already kind of hinted at one, but uh, are there any other surprises for me? Because I'm going to get the rest of the series. Well, well, I appreciate that. But as far as surprises, you know, there's not really surprises in the sense that you know how the story goes. If you're yeah. familiar with your Bible. I mean, no one's going to pick up this first book, Anointed, and say, I wonder if David's going to kill Goliath. No. <laughs> yeah. We know that's going to happen. The Bible said so. I mean, so, <laughs> spoiler alert, you know, it's not, I'm not, <laughs> David does kill Goliath, just in case somebody was wondering. <laughs> um, but it's, so there's not surprises in that context. We know how the story goes. We know David becomes king. Mm-hmm. We know that. We know he hides from Saul. We know he runs from Saul. We know he, at some point, he runs. He goes to Gath and King Achish and gets, he goes to Ziklag. And we know all of these things about David. So what's going to be surprising, I think, to most people is the various <laughs> connections yeah. in the story that, that most people don't make. Even though, like, for example, the relationship between King Saul and his general Abner. Mm-hmm. Um, they were cousins. Most people don't realize the family connection there, but they were cousins. And even Joab was David's nephew. Sure. And so there are all of these little connections and how they relate to each other are key elements to 
to the story that a lot of people tend to miss, even little things such as like the Valley of Elah, the word Elah um, is a is a name of a tree. So it's the it's the valley of certain trees, these Elah trees, which yeah. most people don't realize is a pistachio tree. I remember you told me that pistachio when, nuts. Yeah, I remember you were telling me about that on the phone. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's that, and that yeah. was one thing that I didn't gather together. So little things of that nature, even tactics. Why why did the battle happen in the Valley of Elah? Well, it's because it was a natural invasion corridor from where the city of Gath was located to where to where Bethlehem and Jerusalem would have been, and so. So Saul you know, locked them down in that valley to cut off their supply route if they kept on going up that valley. That's why the battle took place there, just the tactics involved. And, there's, there, and as you go further into the series, and you get, and as David eventually flees from Saul and goes off into the wilderness by himself, I think, I think the thing that's going to maybe surprise most people is I begin weaving in, particularly in the next book, Valiant, Mm-hmm. I mean, we in in Daniel's mighty men. The Bible gives a list of Daniel's mighty men toward the end of his life, but yeah. but a lot of those stories took place during his entire life. So the odds are, when Saul put David in command of a company of men, that was the beginnings of the valiant of, of David's mighty men. That's where he likely began to meet them. Oh, nice. And so some, and so some of the stories that you read about David's mighty men are going to take place in these next books, in Valiant and Fugitive and Delivered and King. So some of those stories do take place. That that takes place with David's mighty men. Takes place in those stories. Now you see, I, you mentioned the mighty men. That's that was something constantly when I was reading, and you were you would mention someone. And how David looked at him. I kept thinking, the the mighty. I kept looking for. Is that going to be one of them? I kept looking at it, going, "I wonder if you were going to have that one be one." Of yeah. course, that didn't a happen in that first yeah. book. But right, right. You know, I, I bring them into the next book, Valiant. Okay, cool. And uh, when and that's based off of a verse where Saul tells David to go and be valiant, oh, and he puts nice. him in charge of a company of men. And uh, to go out and basically fight against the Philistines. And of course, you have uh, one thing I was going to ask you, and this isn't in here either. Um, when you had them bring the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem, I was curious. Uh, I don't know because I haven't read the second book yet. I don't know if it, I, I heard. Uh, I read somewhere in some of my history books here that one one of the reasons for Golgotha's name was there. There is a belief that that's where they buried uh, Goliath's head. I was curious if you were headed there with that, or if that's part of it, or whatever. Or why you no, that's more back. legend and fiction. We do know that his head was impelled and taken to Jerusalem. The Bible explicitly says so. Yeah, but uh, Jerusalem at this time was controlled by the Jebusites. Right. So there was a, a uneasy truce that existed. I think that I think Saul wanting the head to be there was a statement to the Jebusites that says, "Hey, look, I'm still pretty powerful. Don't cross me." Nice. But yeah. I don't know that for sure, because David didn't take over Jerusalem until eight years into his being king, because yeah, he reigned in Hebron for eight years, and then and then he went and took over, and he had to fight against the Jebusites to take over Jerusalem. At the time, I think it was called and, Salem, wasn't it? Or was it... Uh, way back way back when, um, when Melchizedek was king. He was yeah. king of Salem, but it was originally called Salem, yes. But um, I think it was called Jerusalem by this time. Oh, okay. By I, David's time. Yeah, I wasn't sure. At least that's how they were. That's how they were referring to it, anyways. So, uh, outside of David, oh, if you had to say there's one biblical character you relate to most, who would you say it would be? Well, I think anybody would always point to Jesus Christ as their favorite character. Yeah. Uh, who's a Christian? Um, but are you talking about in the stories, in these particular stories? Um, in, throughout the Bible, just somebody you would relate to, not your favorite character, just one that you relate to most. In 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 this in these stories of David? Uh, you can, yeah, sure. Um, I, I think I relate to a large degree to Jesse. Uh, Jesse had eight boys. I have five. Yeah, there you go. Um, he did have couple, he did have at least two daughters that we're aware of, but. Um, I, I do relate to Jesse to some degree, and having pastored, I like, 
Samuel has been one of my favorite characters in the Bible always. Yeah. Uh, Samuel was an incredible, uh, incredible man. So I really relate to Samuel. And so Samuel is definitely, when I write about Samuel in these books, and eventually in these books he does die because the Bible talks about Samuel yeah. dying and David grieving for that. But his influence over David was is what I strive to have with over my own sons and over the next generation to try to guide the next generation to serve Christ. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Like I agree with Samuel and Jesse both. Those are really good. Outside of that, like the one that I, I wouldn't say I, I uh, relate to it more, but I always loved um, Elijah was one of my favorite Bible, like old school prophets was Elijah. <laughs> sure. sure oh yeah that's one you ought to do a book series on because there's so little information on him you know pre- pre- before him coming there uh to meet with the king and everything there, there's so few, little of known about him so much you could add or probably you might be able to find more researching him yeah i i try not to add things that are implausible i try to make everything plausible as much as possible true but um but no um i have as far as future books coming up, um, I, I have a series on Daniel, which yeah. incorporates Daniel, Jeremiah, and Nebuchadnezzar. So the books, four books are all written from those three perspectives, only those three perspectives, Daniel, Jeremiah, and Nebuchadnezzar, um, which I'm finishing up now. Then Joseph is on my list to do eventually, but I will be oh, writing wow. a set of um, three separate trilogies, antediluvian trilogies trilogies from before noah's ark yeah i was going to ask you be, about that so i remember you discussed yeah. those before right so only three books on seth three books on enoch three books on noah and uh that's i'm excited about those doing a lot of research into that right now yeah i remember you were saying you were you were looking into a lot by that uh that group i forget their youtube name uh something genesis genesis explained answers in genesis specifically yeah, yeah. They're, they, they're really they, good. They're, they're a group of Christian scientists who believe that um, almost all the answers to life, the cosmos, can be found in Genesis. And uh, it's the beginning. And so it's really interesting. Yeah, there are. I, I follow them too. I follow them by uh, the one, um, what's the name of that one channel I, got, I follow? I'll put it in the, in the down below. But ex, uh, is it called Expedition Bible? Like I was telling you about him, he's really good. If you haven't mm-hmm. checked him out, because like he, he, cause like I said, with him being there, and I've got his book, uh, "Where God Walked," that's really good. Uh, or "Where God Came Down." Sorry, that's a really good book. If you haven't picked that up yet, it's okay. really good. It's real thin. It's just all about like uh, where Abraham. It talks about Abraham, like the the well. It talks about all that stuff. It's really good. I'll send you a, an Amazon link later on it, so you can check it out. Like. Research it, see if it's something you might be interested in looking at. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, who were your, who were some of your inspirations as a writer? Hmm. I'm a prolific reader. I don't have necessarily specific favorite authors, though. I mean, I've read anything from science fiction to biographies to, to historical fiction to I mean, the the, the range is is pretty significant for me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't know if I have a specific individuals that were for this particular series, or what the purpose I'm trying to do with this biblical fiction. The inspiration just comes from I think I've already mentioned it, just from my idea that I just want to give people a sense that the Bible is fuller and richer than right. than they imagine. Right. There's more to their Bible than they think. And to make those connections, and so, so no. As far as as far as uh, my inspiration goes, I'm a mutt. It's like <laughs> author here, author there, author there, author here, author there. It's just it's just I'm probably sure. hundreds of authors. Yeah. And uh, I don't. I mean, I mean, I could throw C.S. Lewis in. You can even throw Tolkien in. There's oh, so yeah. many different uh, names that you can throw around and they all have a minor or greater or lesser influence to some degree. Yeah. Speaking of Lewis, you mentioned you have that one series, uh, 
that's similar to to the, the Narnia series. Uh, what would you say right. the name of that one was? So the Island of Phoenix Mills is a is a young adult fantasy slash adventure series that exhibits biblical themes, mm-hmm. um, concepts. Um, so what it it's it's a it's it's a Narnia fantasy type concept where these people are trapped on this island they can't get off of. But every year there's a phoenix and there's a dragon. Every year when the phoenix dies, the phoenix represents the Holy Spirit, the dragon represents the devil. Right. But every year that when the phoenix dies, the the terrain so and is reborn. The phoenix dies and reborn it happens every year. So is the island. The island also is reborn. So the topography completely changes. One year it could be rainforest, the next year it could be desert. Oh, nice. Uh, the year after that it could be, you know, tundra. It could be, um, just anyways. It just changes every year. An archipelago, for example. Um, so and so, I just have a bunch of adventures. Usually, usually young adults uh, going on these adventures, where they they're very flawed characters, which we can all relate to. So they're very flawed, and their flaws get them into trouble, but at the same time, they have to overcome those flaws, and they learn something. Like, the first book deals with the power of a good reputation. The main character gets a bad reputation. And it's after to overcome that bad reputation and gain a good reputation is what the whole book is about. Mm-hmm. He has to go on this adventure to the middle of the island and go to the phoenix um, nest directly. And um, and doing so... He's, he has to, he learns what friendship is. He learns what, how to let go of his pride. There's so many different elements that are biblically based that are in there. But it's a fun, very exciting, very action-packed uh, story. It's not preaching. There's not a long, long mon- you know, monologues of somebody preaching. It's just the characters discover their own flaws and what it takes to overcome them. Very nice. And I have four books out in that thing. What did you say the name of it was again? I'm going to write that down here so I can get it. The Isle, the Isle of the Phoenix novels. The first one is called The Phoenix Quest. Okay, I'm, I'm going to check. I'm going to see if I can get me a copy of that and check that out. <laughs> that would be interesting. Oh, like, yeah. uh, so, I've, so far, like I've read that one and I've loved it, and I'm definitely going to get the rest of that one. So, And I'll check this one out, too. <laughs> Uh, That'd be fantastic. So, so writing these books uh, in closing, this I think this will be a good one for the end here. Uh, how has writing these books uh, affected you, your faith? Well, my faith has just grown exponentially because as you write and I do minute research, I mean detailed research into this, where I'll spend months, oftentimes, on one little passage to make sure I'm trying to get it right. It is. It has made for me open up the Bible in ways I never imagined. We, the Bible, is the basis of our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Exactly. So as, and as I get more and more into it, and I see God's fingerprint, or His breath, all over the Scriptures in ways that you, you never really saw, even in tiny insignificant things that you wouldn't really note or notice before because if you once you understand the historical or particularly you know right now i'm i've been doing a lot of research into daniel and jeremiah nebuchadnezzar the babylonian empire and even the egyptian empire that was in conflict quite a bit with the babylonians Mm -hmm. once you understand a lot of the historical background behind a lot of these stories you begin to see things that God was orchestrating, but you never, not, some of that I can't prove. Some of it's just, it's just, it's, it's theory. And so right. it, it's, it's what I call Gregology. It's my opinions, which is not Bible. It's just my opinions, but it's, it, it, it but it just, my faith just grows when I begin to see how rich the Bible really is, even on things that we don't notice, such as, in the Daniel, the David series, with with um, Daniel, I mean, with Jesse having eight sons, as I mentioned, only seven are listed. Yeah. And the potential that one of the sons rebelled when against God, and how the effect 
that likely would have on David to some degree. And to realize that, how would that affected mom and dad when they had to blot their son's name out, pretend like he was never born? That's, that's a common thing in a lot of cultures when, when, a, when a son goes against certain things, it's almost as if they even have a funeral service for them and they're still alive. Yeah. And so just the effects of that and to see God's handiwork on, on all of that and how he would have, how that would have affected the whole relationship. Anyways, just, the list is endless, it seems like. Oh, it is. The yeah. more I get into it, the more I realize there's just the richer and fuller of the, of the Bible and faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Yeah, I've told I, 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 that's something I just said in one of my recent uh, podcast episodes is that you know just read the Bible. I, you know, studying it's important too, but when you get in there and you just start reading it, it just starts to come alive to you. It'll speak to you in ways you'll never, you'll never imagine. It's important to have. Yes, it's important to have a very full picture of the Bible. Yeah, and uh, to read it through multiple times so that your own brain becomes a cross reference. You're reading one portion, your mind goes to other portions of Scripture. Yeah. To make connections, and that's the key. Once you start making these connections, mm-hmm. and then you'll, and you'll just, it also helps. Like I was, like I was saying to, in, in the episode, a lot of people misquote it, and you know. But if you, if you if you haven't read it yourself, you'll never know that. <laughs> that's true. Very true. So, all right. Well, uh, hang mm-hmm. around after I close out here. I'm gonna close out and stop it, and but we can still talk for a little bit. So. Uh, thank you guys for joining me here. Um, Greg, you want to tell them where they can find more of your books and information on you? All of my books are available on Amazon, of course, under Greg S. Baker. My website is gregsbaker.com, and I'd love for anybody to drop on by to leave me a note. Um, love to talk with readers. Love to chit-chat about various things. It's, uh, it's important to me that God's people just unite in these dark days. Yes, very, very important. All right, well, thank you guys again. I hope God continues to bless and keep each and every one of you, and I'll see you, I'll see you all soon. Love you all. God, God bless you. You have been listening to Sermons in the Park with Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, BitChute, and Rumble. And as always, thank you for listening.